Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast, and now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right, you're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas, that's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last 10 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, I don't know that I would say it was occasionally wonderful over the weekend, but we did have a pretty busy weekend of combat sports. We had the UFC with this uh, fight night event on Saturday night that we will talk about coming up during the meat of the show where uh, Corey Sandhagen got a big bantamweight contender win. Uh, it was a bit of a bloodbath all the way around during this fight night event. And I, we'll talk about that coming up in the rounds. You also had a big boxing fight from what I understand, Canelo and Triple G, who are totally guys that I know and not just names that I'm saying out loud. They fought, something happened. I don't know what. Boxing people seemed up in arms about it, but... Uh, here we go. This is a big boxing fight. It's That's about the dent it makes on my radar these days. Jed, I come to you today like unto Lazarus, risen from the grave. I'm going to be frank with you. I had a hard weekend. Yeah. Did you I really get went sick? through it. You know, when we talked on Friday afternoon for the power hour, I was just a little sniffly. Just had a little yeah. bit of the sniffles. Felt like, you know what? My my daughters have both been sick with this thing, but I'm it's probably gonna pass me by. I felt like uh, I don't feel too bad. By Friday evening, I was in the shit, my man. I was in a bad, bad way. Friday evening in the depths of despair, just so I could sleep, I drove down to the gas station mini mart to buy some off brand NyQuil. Oh wow. Which I not something I'd do unless I really, really, really need it. And the guy working the mini mark cast register said I was the third person that evening to make that exact purchase. Whoa. So it's going around out there. Watch your ass is what I'm saying to you, because it is going around out there. And then I spent the entire weekend just feeling like I wanted to do nothing but lay on the couch and wait for sweet, sweet death. It was it was not great. I mean, my children will regard it as the, the weekend when they got to watch as much TV as they wanted because I was incapable of doing anything. It was rough. I'm I'm now just sort of peeking out of the grave, catching up on the fights. I wasn't able just couldn't even keep track of anything that was going on. 
And so let me tell you, it was a kind of an interesting experience to be like, okay, I finally feel somewhat healthy again. Let me see what I missed on these fights. And then everybody getting their faces just absolutely ripped open so that yeah. we can study their veins on the inside. And I was like, all right, maybe I wasn't totally ready for this either. When I'm recuperating from a cold, what I like is to just see a total horror movie of a mixed martial <laughs> arts event. That usually brings me back to the world of the living. Uh, we had a bunch of mild colds over here over the weekend, but it didn't it didn't get too bad. So I'm sorry to hear that that things on your end uh, turned out pretty 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 bad. Yeah, Sounds like well, everyone was pretty sick. I thought it was going to be a mild cold, and it turns out it was something else entirely. And I'm going to try to keep it together long enough to record this podcast. Going to try not to cough or uh, you know sniffle too much, and and try to keep my energy levels up. But uh, I'm telling you right now, it's it's touch and go here. Yeah. Well, we appreciate your efforts. It's a little bit of a weird week here for mixed martial arts. No UFC this weekend. Uh, Bellator returns on Friday. Boxing last weekend, and so we're gonna we're gonna spice it up. Do a little bit of everything in our rounds uh, this week. Reminder, you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper, whereas everybody knows by now it is pledge month over at the CME Patreon page. It's hard to believe that Ben and I have been doing this podcast for over a decade now. We laugh and we joke, uh, but it's a fair amount of work over here every week. It does take a fair amount of time and effort to keep churning out this content every single week. Again, like we told you last week, we're an all-independent operation. We have no support people, no producers, no directors. Ben doesn't even have a personal assistant that he can send out for off-brand NyQuil when he's feeling sick. You know, I feel like we glossed over that portion of your story where you you went to get some quote-unquote off-brand NyQuil. I don't even know that I know what that is, if it's like something special that the guy working at the the corner market pulls out from underneath the counter and is like, yeah, man, this shit's from overseas. It's going to fuck you up, dog. It's just what they have when they don't have NyQuil, apparently, because you pick up the bottle, it's made in every way to be reminiscent of NyQuil to conjure up to the mind thoughts of NyQuil even says on the the bottle compare our active ingredients to the active ingredients of NyQuil it's basically just trying to tell you don't worry bro it's the same it's just as good don't even worry about it well I mean slug it on down you seem to be okay for this I don't know if it's we're doing this episode of the CME screwed and chopped but uh you know We'll just, we'll soldier on. We'll do the best we can. You know what? My children really enjoyed seeing me have to take some medicine that I didn't want to take. That was really <laughs> gross for me. They were like, oh yeah, look at this. Shoes on the other foot now, huh? Like they, they sat down and watched it like it was a, a live performance they were really looking forward to. You know what? That actually is legitimately one of my earliest memories of having to take NyQuil <laughs> as a child was that my mom gave it to me and it tasted so fucking bad that I just pretended like I got better because I was worried that she would give it to me again. So I was like, nope, all good over here now. Ready to go back to school. Uh, and it took me years and years, honestly, to get to get back to doing the NyQuil. But now, as an adult, if I get sick, oh, hell yeah. Give me that NyQuil. Put me straight to sleep. Make me sleep the sleep of the dead. I bet you even go for the name brand stuff. You don't you don't mess around with the off brand. Well, if I got the bucks, if I don't, I'm going down to the quarter market and seeing what uh what Clarence the shop guy has underneath the counter. 
just hands you a bottle and he's written cough syrup across it in black marker. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell by now, but it's just us slugging it out over here with the big boys, the other podcasts with their big budgets and their full-time jobs and whatnot. We need your help to keep the CME alive and well. We want to keep the discourse unfettered. We want to keep this show going. Uh, and the way we do that is through the wonderful support of all of our patrons over at the CME Patreon page. Frankly, we think it's an unbelievable value. You get access to three additional podcasts each week. You can cut in line to the front row and have your listener mail submissions considered first on this show. You can join the CME's official Discord message board where fun stuff is always happening. Ben, you and I just played over the weekend in uh, fantasy football, and right now uh, you are killing me. Yeah. I'm, I'm down by like 25 points. I still got, let's see here, one, two, three players to go tonight yeah. on Monday night football, but uh, I need some big weeks from those guys. If I'm even going to make this thing competitive. Yeah. We really, we put some big numbers up on you this week. So it's, it's a tough one for you. Also though, uh, when patrons, when you, when you join the CME Patreon and you, you get like, access to the discord and all the other things that come with it, we are still gearing, gearing up for fantasy hockey coming up. That's right. I still have no idea how it works, but I'm excited to find out. <laughs> yeah. Neither do I, but uh, we're going to figure it out. Look, you don't have to take our word for it. This week, we got our guy Tom Hughes from all the way over across the pond in jolly old England telling you exactly why he loves the co-main event podcast, Patreon. He cracks himself up in this. You got you to gotta hear this. Here's Tom Hughes. Hi, I'm Tom Hughes from Birmingham, England, and here's why you should become a CME patron. For £1 a month, it allows you to become a member of the CME live chat, which happens once a week, as well as, most importantly, the CME official Discord server, of which I'm one of the admins. As a proud £8 member of the Patreon, I have access to three additional podcasts a week, the live chat, Doing the Damn Thing, and CME Patreon Power Hour, home of the CME Power Hour Power Rankings, which are really badly named. <laughs> I'm a patron to a to few podcasts, and I have to say the CME's patron alpha is the best. For £8, I have access to 12 additional podcasts a month, and to probably the world's friendliest internet community, of which I'm proud to be a member. Come and join us. You won't regret it. Responses so far to Pledge Month have been great, but we still need more help. We uh, we promised you guys some new stuff over on the Patreon page, and this week we've got it for you. Here it is. You know, a funny thing happened to us when we were down in Vegas in July during the CME meetup. People kept coming up to us. They kept saying, you got to add a new tier. You got to do another tier. And at first we thought, that's crazy talk. But then more people started to come up and tell us that we had to add an additional tier to the Patreon. And then I guess we started to think about it. And here we are for all the beloved patrons out there who feel like they they have a little extra, they want to give a little extra, like they want to be the true heads. You now can join at the new $20 a month tier starting in October. We're adding that extra upper tier to the CME. You can call it the just for fun tier. You can call it the shit eating wild person tier, whatever you want. Uh, we're going to think of some ways to make it worth your while. At this tier so far, we're going to give you access to video versions of all the podcasts 
you're going to get. And frankly, people have been asking for this one, an ad free audio version of the CME proper every week. That's this show without the pesky advertisements. You're going to get exclusive early access to the new CME merch store, which is almost ready to roll out. And who knows, there might even be some exclusive goodies available only to people in the shit eating wild person tier. Obviously, it's a work in progress, just as everything is here on the CME. But if that's your jam, please join up at the top tier, and then you'll know you're supporting the CME to the fullest. For the rest of you, if you listen to the CME, if you like the CME, please support the show. Right now, go over to patreon.com slash co-main event and sign up with any one of our handy three existing tiers of patronage to get access to all the cool shit happening over there. We need your support. Hopefully, uh, coming up, we'll be able to announce some more stuff coming to the Patreon, but uh, that's where we're at right now. Go over CME Patreon or patreon.com slash co-main event and join up to support the team. We would really appreciate it here during pledge month. We got music. Oh, go ahead. How about, here's an idea for the, the the top tier. Now, uh, Chad Dundas, uh, workout video tips. (laughs) We get, we could see you doing the box jumps. We can see you do swinging your kettlebells around. We can see all the, the, the CrossFit goodness you get into. Yeah. To just how, how to get the body of Dundas. You know? Again, like we're going to need to have an extra production person just to follow me around with a camera like Dana White 24-7 getting that, uh, getting the workout footage that I know everyone hungers for. The sweat, the black and white slow motion sweat dripping off my nose. I know that's what everybody wants to see. Yeah, while somebody reads it like a Morgan Freeman dramatic reading of The Man in the Arena. Yes, exactly. 100%. Book it. That's happening. Uh, We got music this week from our guy, Dion Rodriguez, a producer from Deltona, Florida. If you like what you hear from him on the podcast, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash dbeats7. And again, that's the word beats with a Z. Beats. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, ew, that was disgusting. If UFC Fight Night 210 is remembered at all, It'll be as a bloody mess. And in round number two, Jose Aldo has retired from MMA. Farewell, Jose. We will remember you fondly as one of the all-time greats, at least until you turn up in next year's PFL tournament or fighting Mighty Mouse on Amazon Prime. And in round number three, there's no UFC this weekend, but audible gasp. Bellator returns on Friday with actually kind of an interesting card. All that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by Fulton and Rourke. Fulton and Rourke are purveyors of the finest grooming products I have ever used. That's a shoot, brother. Fulton and Rourke is just built different. Fulton and Rourke got that dog in them. If you're not getting your shit correct like every single day like I do, using their body wash, their shampoo, their deodorant, their solid cologne, you're just out here wasting your time, TBH. Ben and I uh, used to be like you, going to Target, buying whatever shampoo and body wash looked like the new hotness over in the personal grooming section. No more. Now we know the secret to everlasting happiness. Fulton and Rourke. Pony up to the internet and get some of that good shit. Right now, CME listeners can save 15% on their first purchase with the coupon code if you nasty. That's all one word, if you nasty at fultonandrourke.com. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Dean Draper. 
He writes, dudes, are all the UFC referees now of the top drawer? Yes, I'm drunk watching last night's card. <laughs> and then in parentheses, he says, UK. But I can't think of a Mario Yamasaki right now. They all seem on top of their game. Goddard, Herb, and Herzog seem to be the top three, but the rest are right up their asses now, in my humble opinion. Chat amongst yourselves, please. Now, see, now, this is how you know that we run an independent podcast over here, is because you can write us drunk from the UK, catching up on fights, just being like, I'll tell you something. These referees are all pretty good now. and these other, The other guys are up their asses. And we'll be like, you know what? Yes, not only will we read your question on the podcast, you got to be first. Yeah. Uh, I like the phrase that they are now of the top drawer. That's your first clue to the fact that this email is coming to us from across the pond from Dean Draper the, to say that the, the refs are all of the top drawer. Uh, you know what? I got to say he's he's right. When the guy that you are most frequently picking on is Herb Dean, eh, that's probably a sign you're doing okay right now from a referee standpoint. Yeah, I mean, Herb will catch some some shit every now and then. And any referee is going to be in some situations because it's just such a hard damn job where you're yeah. going to screw it up every now and then. And when you screw it up, it is going to be super, super noticeable just because of the nature of the job that either you're going to let somebody take a beating they shouldn't have had to take, or you're going to get in too early and fuck up a fight and everybody's going to be mad at you for the whole week. That's just the nature of it. But it is true that you don't have anybody you can single out right now and be like, this guy is always fucking up. They kind of get to take turns fucking up, which shows you that it's just whatever the level of human error is always going to be in there. I would say that where we are not all of the top drawer is in judging still. Because you yeah. will still consistently hear the names of judges where you're like, well, we heard this guy fuck up a whole bunch of fights. And here he is back again, apparently suffering no repercussions for it. Uh, so especially when you contrast what we're doing with referees, what we're doing with, with judges, it does seem like, you know, we got a pretty good crop that we're used to at this point. Yeah. Uh, you know, when Jose Aldo retired over the weekend and I went to the Internet looking for my favorite Jose Aldo highlight, which is, of course, the double flying knee knockout, unfortunately, on our guy, Cub Swanson. Yeah, I was going to say, I knew you were going to say that was your favorite, but then also like that's that's Cubby Sampson. That's your guy. Yeah, yeah he caught a hot one there. That's too bad uh, for Cubby Sampson. But I was also reminded when I started watching the highlight of it, which is not long because the fight ends in like eight seconds or something like that. Uh, but I got to hear the lilting voice of Steve Mazzagotti at the beginning of that fight. And it brought me back, man. It brought me back to a time and place when not all the referees were of the top drawer, Ben, yeah. when there were referees out here, uh, kind of screwing up all the time. And I also love in Dean Draper's, uh, email here that he just refers to the fact that he can't think of a Mario Yamasaki right now. Like almost like that's a descriptor. Oh man, don't be a Mario Yamasaki up in here. Yeah, and a bit of these young kids now don't even get the reference. <laughs> hey, I'll that's tell you what they had it. When we were working for The Athletic and I got the opportunity to do a story about some of these referees, I come called some of these guys up on the phone and talked to them. And you know what? Every single one of them was just delightful. Herb Dean, uh, Kevin McDonald, 
uh, I talked to uh, Big Dan or uh, Big Dan Mergliata a little bit. Of course, interviewed Big John McCarthy, the Godfather of it all, yeah. several times. Every one of these dudes is delightful, kind of like under the radar, awesome interviews. And the fact is, sometimes they're not allowed to talk about this stuff. Like the athletic commissions look down on this. It can be. Uh, unless you're one of these guys who feels like you're kind of above the law, which I think Mark Goddard does mostly because he doesn't live in the United States. Uh, and you know, he is a guy that will, he'll clap back on you. If you, if you, if you try some shit on but, social but media, politely, like with, with, like with class, he will clap yeah. back on you. But a lot of these guys don't, they don't feel empowered to like, to talk about when they make a judging mistake or when there is a, uh, some kind of irregularity inside the cage. So a lot of times like, their whole social media timeline is just people being like, fuck you. I hope you die. And like, they don't, they can't say anything back. And it wasn't until, uh, I interviewed them that I realized what a, what a terrible state of affairs that is, because I'll tell you what, if you are a mixed martial arts referee, even if you're doing it in the UFC at the highest level, number one, you're not getting paid that much. Number two, there's no reason for you to be there except that you love it. There's really not doing this thankless, impossible, and yet absolutely vital job. And every one of these guys uh, is is a first class human being from what I can tell. Yeah. And one of the things I think that you miss when you just see their names pop up on TV and you don't get to hear more from them about who they are is how many of them are themselves lifelong practicing martial artists in yeah, some form. And a lot all of them. Of them. Have, That's how else would you get there? Like, right? Pro, like a lot of them have pro fight experience. You know, Herb Dean sure does. And, and a lot of the other guys have had uh, a lot of MMA experience uh, and how they do really care about this shit and think about this shit and them not being allowed or at least being strongly discouraged at times from talking to the public about it. I'm kind of of two minds on it because I think on one hand, like, like you say that sometimes they could put it into perspective for people and could help people realize the full context of some stuff that maybe they're misunderstanding and, and lead to a greater understanding of what's actually going on in there and what referees are considering. But then I also think about when Joe Silva, the former UFC matchmaker would talk about, I remember asking him about if everyone gets mad about online criticism or things like that, or wishes he could get on a message board and talk some shit to people. And he's like, you know what? I'm glad that like, I really can't do that because if I started, I would never stop. I would never get anything else done in a day, especially because Joe Silva, you know, he loved to argue with you about damn near anything. And so that opportunity to be like, oh, yeah, do you think this matchup sucks? Well, let me tell you about why it happened this way. Or and That if you let yourself start down that road, pretty soon that's the only thing you have time for in your day. And because the criticism is not going to stop. It's not like you're going to address enough criticisms that people are going to be like, all right, we're all done. We have nothing else left to say. Like that's never going to happen. And so at some point you are better off just being like, all right, you know what? You guys can argue about it amongst yourselves. We'll be over here just actually trying to do the best job we can. Next question this week comes to us from the Dundasso effect who writes, it seems to me y'all might've been a little bit harsh on Kamzat last week. I agree that the weight miss was pretty inexcusable, but his role in the press conference fracas seemed to be less his fault. According to Li Jingliang on the MMA Fortnite, Kevin Holland shoved him first and Kamzat was essentially on his own when the Diaz crew of more than 20 started chucking water bottles. Also regarding the not glove touch, A, he never faked it, and B, uh, he actually, had he actually faked a glove touch, 
isn't that just some Dundasso ass shit? Uh, now I've been thinking about this and the fake glove touch shoe to take down ragdoll your opponent immediately into a first round victory actually is a sweet Dundasso move that in the, in the manual, I will wholeheartedly endorse, uh, some of this, some of the rest of this stuff, man, I honestly don't know how you could be making apologies for Kamzat Shemaev here after what happened at UFC 279, uh, whether or not the backstage fracas was his fault or whether he was by himself, like I said last week, uh, according to reports, there were three independent skirmishes that occurred backstage behind the scheduled UFC 279 press conference, and every one of them involved someone and Kamzat Chemaev. So it's just the old rule, man. You, you, you can't spot the asshole. You start looking around. You can't spot the asshole. Maybe it's you. Maybe you are the asshole. And like, I, don't, I mean, the, I don't, the way he's been talking since he got in the, in the front door, like, I'm not surprised everybody's got beef with him. I don't know. You can come out now and be like, oh, a little bit too hard on Kamzat. Everybody's yeah. messing with him. Like, it's not like they just started messing with him for no reason, man. Well, right? and also the thing we were hardest on him about was the colossal weight miss that yeah. fucked up the entire card and the completely unapologetic way he handled it afterwards. Yeah. Where not only like, not only did he not apologize, he got mad at the idea that he should apologize or that he should feel any sort of way about it. Like I don't care about this. Like how dare we expect him to care about showing up at the weight he said he'd show up at, and instead being the one domino that knocks over everything and causes the entire card to be rearranged. Like that's what we were hardest on the 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 pre-press conference fracas stuff backstage, it's hard to really have too much of an opinion unless we, we can really see everything that happened there. And we were hearing mostly through just like reports or like a little bit of video here and there about here's what happened. And so without really knowing, there's only so much you could say, but it is true that he's the common denominator in a lot of this shit. And he's getting into it with Paulo Costa earlier in the week. And it's like, either there's something about the guy that makes everybody else want to be an asshole to him, or... He is some way instigating this stuff because it keeps happening over and over again. Yeah, man. And look, we have said time and time again, we we will excuse a near weight miss. In fact, sometimes it seems like we're doing being too big of sticklers on this thing. And when two people are approximately the same size, we should say close enough and let them roll in there. Kamzat Shemayev missed by seven and a half pounds. And then he didn't suffer a consequence whatsoever. He didn't even get fined because they just real quick scrambled the card for him and gave him another advantageous matchup at a catch weight of 180 pounds. And he just rolled in and did that one. So if the only consequence you face is that a couple of jabronis on the CME say you were to blame, seems like you skated out pretty clean from this entire mess that you caused single-handedly. As was pointed out to us, missed weight by the equivalent of a newborn baby. The equivalent of a new human soul. Next question this week comes to us from Mackenzie Chitwood, who writes, don't really have a question. Just want you dudes to acknowledge Trey Ogden's nickname of Samurai Ghost. If there's any nickname origin story out there that solely consists of someone at his gym coming up to him and saying, bro, I just thought of a nickname for you and it's sick as fuck. It's this one. (laughs) Troy Ogden, Ben, goes out there, gets the win over Daniel Zellahuber. Uh, in the prelim portion of this fight night card over the weekend, a lightweight fight, unanimous decision win for Trey Ogden. Uh, I, yeah, I co-sign. I have dueling figure uh, feelings about the Samurai Ghost nickname. My first feeling is, 
oh, that is kind of sick as fuck. Yeah. My, my second feeling is, but it does also feel completely manufactured. I need to hear a story behind it. I need to hear why you're the samurai ghost. Because I do like that it is specific. Because if you were just like, Trey the samurai, something, you know, it'd be like, okay, bro. In what way are you a samurai? And plus, then you'd be like one of 25 samurais, you know, and you're fighting out of Kansas City, Missouri. So we're yeah. kind of being like, what the hell? But if you're the samurai ghost, I'm like, are you, or what you're telling me is that you're the ghost of a samurai or that you are the samurai of ghosts? I don't even know. Yeah. And it and it's intriguing enough to me that I want to hear more. And if you, yeah, I'll tell you what. If Trey Ogden can tell us that he has a good story behind this, like, okay, so I was hanging out, you know, with my buddy Jeff, and then, you know, something happened, and then the next thing you know, they're like, bro, you're like a samurai ghost, and it just stuck, then fine. You know what? Yeah. Fine. But right now, just on the surface, it does look like it was just like, would be badass, a samurai. Well, what if it was like, though, like a ghost samurai, where you could just show up in your room at night? Oh, shit, that's super scary, bro. Boom. Book it. It is the opposite of like Ken flow, right? Where we're like, okay, I see where that one came from. Like, yeah, I get it's that a little one. boring. In fact, that we don't, that we don't need to hear the story on that. We got it. It feels a little bit like you played one of those Facebook games where it's like, find out your Scooby-Doo name or whatever. Like if your birthday month is yeah. January, then the first word is samurai. And if your hair color is brown, it's ghost samurai ghost. And I, I want to know more. I'd like to find out from Trey Ogden. Uh, a name that does not necessarily make you sound like the samurai ghost where he got that nickname from. Yeah. Because if there's a story, damn, I, I feel already like it's got to be a good one. Last question this week comes to us from the voice actor, voice of Garcia. You can tell it's a little bit of a slow week here because of the, uh, the topics here yeah. of the listener mail. He writes, okay, I've noticed lately the UFC has been emphasizing a bit on fighters height when they do the tale of the tape. Um, why? Last week, it was Kevin Holland being 6'2". Ooh. Now, it's Corey <laughs> Sandhagen being the tallest fighter in the bantamweight division. What's next? Focusing on how extremely short a fighter is? Or am I bitching over nothing? Please, oh please, discourse. Now, we love and appreciate the contributions from the voice actor, the voice of Garcia. But it does kind of seem like maybe you're bitching about nothing? Yeah, I mean... We just came from a BKFC event in Great Falls, Montana, where they insisted on including in the tail of tape fist size. Yeah, in centimeters. Measured in centimeters. So I understand why we're always reaching for stats in this sport, because other sports have stats, so many stats, readily available and used as both discussion topics and analytics uh, for future predictions and it's way harder in fight sports and we've tried so many different ways and so many different times average strikes thrown per minute and takedown defense percentage but it's so hard to make those stats mean anything when quality of competition can throw everything completely out of whack and when you know you might only fight 20 or 30 times in your entire fucking career Whereas when you get thousands of at-bats in baseball, the stats start to mean a lot more. And so we we reach for whatever there is. And especially the UFC likes to do this. Like this one with Corey Sandhagen where they're like, he is tied for the tallest active bantamweights in the UFC. Yeah. He and Sean. And it's like, okay, I see what they're trying to say. They're trying to find a way to say he's tall for the weight class. 
That's what they're trying to say. And they're trying to find a way to like root that in some actual hard data so that they don't just have to have you take their word for it that he's on the taller side for guys in this division because that doesn't sound very impressive. So that's what they're doing there. And it is worth noting. So I, I see what they're doing, but it is also, they'll do a thing where it's like, that is the fourth fastest finish in women's straw weight history. And you're like, okay, at this point, guys, come on. What, what are we doing? Not everything has to be instantly converted into a stat. So yeah. I, I get the, the root of the complaint, but maybe on this one, you know, uh, l- let him slide on talking about how Corey Sandhagen is a tall, skinny dude for the weight class. Because he is. He just is. Yeah. At least with height, it seems like it has it could have some bearing on the actual fight. Sometimes they're busting out metrics and stats where I'm just like, what does that even mean? What is what does this guy's uh, takedown defense percentage even mean when he's got like, you know, two fights in the UFC or yeah, whatever? Yeah, when it's like if when he shut down three or four takedowns, it's like, oh, okay, I don't know if that really tells us that much. All right, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website comainevent.com and click the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast that'll get you in touch with us right now we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one This episode of the CME is brought to you in part by NordVPN. As you guys all know by now, Ben and I both use NordVPN pretty much all the time on all our devices. I love it because it's fast and easy to use, and it gives me the peace of mind of knowing all my personal information is safe online, whether I am using the internet at home, traveling, or just running around town and my phone is bouncing from one public Wi-Fi to another public Wi-Fi. Ben, what do you like best about NordVPN? Oh, the encryption powerhouse that is NordVPN. Jed, you know I love that peace of mind knowing that the thing kicks in whenever I'm on the public Wi-Fi. Because, Jed, when I go some places and it pops up saying that they got a public Wi-Fi network, yeah, I'm getting on it. Am I thinking about uh, my security in that moment? Probably should be, but I'm not. And one reason I can safely get away with that is because I got NordVPN in my back pocket. Now let me tell you about NordVPN's security bundle. Just like the CME Patreon has three handy tiers of patronage, NordVPN has three easy options for how to use it. You can get the standard plan for your basic VPN needs. You can get the plus plan if you need a little something extra. And if you want to go for the big dog, if you want to go whole hog on this thing, you can get the complete plan, which will take care of your every need. Enjoy the leading VPN service and malware blocker. Generate and store strong passwords. Protect files in an encrypted cloud. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash comain or use the code comain to get one free bonus month and their exclusive 30-day money-back guarantee. I'm going to start here, Ben, with this question from Nick Cohen over on Patreon, who wrote us in to say, is it just me or did the ringside physician look kind of disgusted when he gave that cut on RoboCop Rodriguez one last look after the fight? That shit was nasty now if you tuned in just to have yourself a fun time here at ufc fight night 210 aka ufc on espn plus 68 you might have been taken aback by much (laughs) of the main card here which turned out as i said earlier 
to just be a complete bloodbath. You had uh, Chidi Njikawani, Gash Gregory Rodriguez open like pretty much right between his eyebrows, gave him a new eyebrow, I believe, as Gregory Rodriguez said. Somehow, Rodriguez bounced back from that thing to score the second round TKO win over Chidi Njikawani. You had Corey Sanhagen use one of those kind of step-in uppercut elbows to slash open Song Yadong over one of his eyes, uh, which eventually forced the doctor stoppage headed into the fourth round. Oh, and by the way, just in case you, you wanted to know, Andre Feely said Bill Allegio, am I saying that right? Algio? Uh, Algio was bleeding so much during their fight that it filled up Andre Feely's ear and he could not hear out of oh, one of his ears because oh, it was plugged gross, man. with blood. So that's what you gross. had here on what otherwise might have been a fairly low profile fight night was just a, a goddamn slasher film is what this thing was. Yeah. You know, that doctor really saw some shit on this particular night. <laughs> he and saw it, it and he let it go at, at one. Like he probably should have stopped that main event, man. Well, uh, before hear- the final round that they let, they let, Song Yudong go out there and, and the fight. commentary was like between every single round was basically like, oh, they, this is going to be over. Like they said it as almost as soon as the cut happened, like in the same round that the cut happened, I think it happened in the second round. Right. And they were just like, oh, this could be it for this one. That That's a bad cut in a bad place. You know, they go back, sit on the stool, get a look at it and be like, oh, that's bad. That's bad. You know, he's probably going to stop it. And then he wouldn't stop it. Take a good long look into Song Yadong's skull via this cut and then still be like, oh, no, no, I can keep going. And then they'd say, oh, no, he's, this is probably going to be it. He's got to stop it here. Nope. Going to keep letting it go. And man, that it was a significant cut, too, because that was looking like Song Yadong's fight early on. You know, and, and granted, it was not like a whole lot of fighting had happened. And Corey Sandhagen did a very good job adjusting to him as the fight went on. But it, the first round, you know, Song Dong is looking like his powers might be too much for Corey Sandhagen. He's he's pressuring him. Sandhagen's having trouble keeping him off of him. And I give Sandhagen credit for a, a lot of adjustments throughout that fight, especially in how what he was doing early on set up reactions from Song Yudong that then he could use to his favor as the fight went on. Like just making him worry about the takedown enough to, to draw off that sprawl from him. Uh, reading in Song Yudong that, that tendency to to cover up and sort of duck his head forward as he's getting ready to attack. And he was able to use that to get him to walk right into that elbow and used it several times to get him to walk into jabs and, and to feint to draw it out for him, knowing where he's going to be. So it was a really smart performance, but that cut was really significant because it was, it was two different fights before and after that cut happened. Yeah. Uh, and especially since, I mean, you got to think, right, that when you have one fight where there's a huge bad cut that happens kind of right away, early, early on in the fight and the other guy comes back to win it, that's got to affect how you then view later fights where there's a big bad cut and you're going, well, that doesn't necessarily mean that I should take this opportunity to come back and win it away from that guy because look what we just saw. Yeah, yeah. I do have to admit, it did cross my mind what a weird uh, sport we are engaging in here during the main event when first the cut man and then the doctor and those of us watching from the comfort of our homes got to see the pale shine of Song Yudong's skull in his cut. And like most people are just, you know, 
we're all professionals here, man. Like, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, take my giant Q-tip and stick it right into your cut that I can see your skull through. And then I'm going to smear it with Vaseline. I'm going to do everything that I can so that you can continue fighting with this gigantic gash over your eye where I can, you know, but for a, a, a you know, a, a partial inch of, of bone, I could see your brain. I'd be looking at your brain right now, if not for your skull, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And the the other one, the the uh, the RoboCop one that Gregory Rodriguez suffered, I saw afterwards where I can't remember who it was. Somebody was posting one of the the, the medical experts, the actual medical experts who uh, for some reason spend their time with the rest of us yokels on Twitter. And they were posting a, a picture and they're like, oh, yeah, people were asking, like, what is this that you can see inside the giant cut across Gregory Rodriguez's forehead? Uh, and it's a vein. It's it, like it's bigger because he's engorged through like the activity and everything and the, the trauma that suffered. But like it has this cut has exposed a vein in his face. Yep. And imagine if that then gets split open, then you're really going to see a whole lot. Of, but that is so unbelievably gross yep. and a, incredible that that is just kind of another night of work. Yeah. If you are a professional cage fighter getting out yeah. there. I mean, nobody could have a better sense of humor about it. Than Gregory Rodriguez did. Got split open there early on. Got rocked a little bit. Came back, won the fight. And afterwards was joking like, ah, ha, ha, thank goodness I already have a good looking wife. Because I am <laughs> maimed now. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think it was Dana White who tweeted out that picture, right? Wasn't it like the UFC president at one point send out the picture of Gregory Rodriguez's cut as if to underscore what a strange beast this sport is? Uh Let's talk just for a second about uh, Corey Sandhagen. We we talked last week about how, you know, he had the split decision loss to TJ Dillashaw, which a lot of people think he won in July of 2021. He'd stepped in on short notice to fight Peter Yan at UFC 267 and lost that fight by unanimous decision. He comes out and gets this win over Song Yudong in this this fight night event. I don't even know how to think of those two losses. I guess both of them pretty fluky, but it would seem that he interjects himself straight back into title contention or top contender status here in the bantamweight division uh it's it, where does he go from here i guess though just you had uh uh he went out he called out chito vera and marab dvalishvili in the in the wake of this which i think are probably fairly fitting call outs for him all sterling was complimentary but it just seems like we've still got some business we need to handle and i don't know where Corey sanhagen fits in once all the rest of this stuff shakes out yeah, I mean, if you look at the rankings as they stand right now, the people above him are Marab Dalashvili, TJ Dillashaw, Peter Yan, and Aljamain Sterling there. And, you know, it's you're getting to a problem where you've already fought most of those guys. So, you know, what are you going to do? You, you, you got to, uh, like, Marab is the, the fresh blood there. You've already lost the, the, to Peter Yan, TJ Dillashaw, and Aljamain Sterling. So, uh I think it makes sense, but it's also you're kind of hanging around at the top of the division waiting for the title picture to become clearer and for you to figure out, like, uh, what win is going to be the one that unlocks it and convinces people to give you a little bit more forward momentum. Like, he was a guy who really needed this win, though. I mean, we talked about how he had felt like, you know, you got two losses. They're two tough losses in kind of two different ways, but you can't lose this one. 
because then at three in a row and people start to panic a little bit when they see three losses in a row on your record. And so he really needed to go at this one. And it was, I think, a deceptively tough fight in a lot of ways. You could see it in some of those exchanges, even after he had Song Yudong hurt and bloodied him all up. When Song Yudong was coming forward and landing, it was hurting him. Like, that guy has a lot of power. That guy can, can catch you at any point, and you could be in a whole lot of trouble. So it was a tricky fight for him. And he yeah. did a really good job, uh, you know, adjusting as that fight went on and fighting smart and, and finding a way to win this one. And I think it showed, like, a lot of growth in him as a fighter, honestly, to, to be able to sort of get some reads early on and to put in some work that's going to start to pay off later on in a fight. And maybe that's just the little stuff that was missing in that fight with TJ Dillashaw, where a lot of people thought you should have won it, but maybe that's just like those little tiny tweaks when you get guys who are where, you know, in the top five of one of the most talent-rich divisions out there, everybody's really good. You know, it's always going to be pretty small margins separating people. Yeah, well, it's been almost a year since we've seen Corey Sandhagen fight, and he spoke before the fight just about how many changes he felt like he had made and the different positions that he felt like he had worked on to get better at so that people can't push him up against the fence and control him there anymore. So as he continues to move through these upper echelons of the division, I guess we'll find out how much uh, that work will pay off. Uh, you know, we talk, we have talked at length during this ESPN era in the UFC about the uh, – I guess the calculus that the UFC makes when it comes to these fight nights. And I think that this fight night, again, is just one that kind of proves that the UFC was right. That like, you know, if their goal is to get a certain number of people to sign up for ESPN Plus subscriptions and then just kind of keep it every month so they continue to pay that subscription fee, they have wagered that what they can do essentially on any given fight night is take 10 to 15 random fights, throw them out there, have a a, uh, reasonably... Uh, interesting main event, which we did here in Corey Sanhagen and Song Yudong, and that in the course of that 15 fights, something will happen that will be newsworthy, that will give the news cycle a chance to spin and to the extent that it even matters anymore, like it will give people to, stuff to talk about until the next UFC comes along. And this time, it was that everybody got their faces busted open. Just like something is going to happen. You have 15 MMA fights. Something interesting is going to happen. And and I think that's one of the calculations that they make. And I think that they're right about that, frankly. Yeah, well, also, I mean, it helps to have such market power and that you can lock down the the majority of the best talent in the sport. And that you yeah. guys, you got guys lining up wanting to fight for the knockoff version that locks them directly into contracts that are, are, are cheaper than what they'd get if they came in as free agents who were, were very sought after. So you do have a lot of sort of like built-in market advantages that you've created for yourself, but also in having these cards so regularly, like one of the downsides that we've mentioned before about the oversaturation is that you just, you end up with fight cards that, are not exactly loaded with star power because you got to put on a show every weekend. The upside is you train a certain segment of the audience, just expect that there'll be a show every weekend. And a lot of those people are just going to be in their seats on Saturday because they've built it into their regular schedules that you got fights every weekend. So I watch them every weekend. And that, especially if you're trying to fill out content for a streaming library is super valuable. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and we will do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we will move on to round number two this week. Uh, well, Ben, Conor McGregor's been playing it pretty cool. huh? Oh, God. Oh God. I mean, in a way, I guess you kind of got to hand it to the guy. A week or so ago, we had these reports out 
that maybe USADA hadn't been to see him in a year or so, maybe haven't tested him in a while. And he responded to this news by choosing this exact moment to post a video of himself bronzed to a fine Hulk Hogan shade of orange, (laughs) standing in front of the mirror, flexing, showing off the biceps, the triceps, the deltoids, the trapezius, the latissimus dorsi, looking bloated in the face. Look, I mean, in short, looking like every gassed up 40-year-old pro wrestler you've ever seen. And, I mean, I know he's trolling us, right? But are you fucking kidding me? Like, this video certainly doesn't make it appear any less that you're getting special treatment from the fight company and the drug testing authority to go ahead and, I don't know, maybe do whatever you need to do to get back after your broken leg. You know what I'm saying? You fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? I don't know. I, does Conor McGregor even own a pair of underwear also? Because, <laughs> I mean, come on, man. That's a, that's a separate are you fucking kidding me right there. Who needs underwear when you got the kind of money you can just buy a new pair of shorts every time you wear them? I guess. The guy didn't I even guess. wash clothes. Who needs laundry? You know? Chad, my are you fucking kidding me? First, I'm going to start off by just reading you a headline. Report. Russian social media star Hezbollah Magomedov signs five-year deal with UFC. That's the 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 little person Hezbollah. You know him. We've seen him all around. We're all Um, all familiar with him. With the the rare genetic disorder that, quote, affects his growth and the pitch of his voice. He won't fight in the UFC, but they've signed him to a deal that, uh, according to um, his representatives, said... Uh, we will not talk much about about the amounts in detail, but there are, there are such that many fighters do not get that much. So, that's something right there for fighters. I hope they heard that one that yeah. the UFC wants to pay this guy just as just to kind of be around and be a kind of a mascot. Meanwhile, though, you look over and check out what uh, Habib and, and the boys are up to there. Um, They've got a they've got a new little person here. They they're showing off this video of them with him at dinner and they're just sort of like hoisting him around like a little mascot. Are you fucking kidding me, you guys? This is weird. This yeah. is weird what you guys are doing. These are human beings that you're sort of treating like they're just like a a dog that can walk on its hind legs. It's fucking weird. I mean, I guess it, you know, Hezbollah seems very into it and is making them, uh, getting himself a five year con five years. The UFC's faith in that this is going to be a super popular thing that we need to be in on the ground floor of is such that they signed, locked him down for five years. <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? What are we all doing here? Are, is, is anybody thinking about that? We're using these human beings as mascots and that maybe the whole thing is just kind of weird here. Anybody, yeah. anybody giving any thought to that at all? Or were you just like, oh, it's like a, it's like an angry person, but smaller. It's hilarious. Fucking kidding me? What are I'm we doing? kidding me. I mean, if you didn't feel weird enough by the blood and the cuts and looking at guys' skulls, here's a, an additional layer that should make you feel a little uncomfortable about where we're all at. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two.
Well, Ben, we got this question here from our guy Brandon Boyd over on Patreon. He writes, so Jose Aldo isn't a UFC fighter anymore. What do you think is next for him, and where do you rank him among UFC legends? Uh, You know, that is a good question in that the kind of thing that we allow ourselves to feel like we have a fuller picture of once we hear that R word. Once we yeah. hear that you, 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 that might be it for you. Now, of course, we were just talking about how Marlon Moraes, uh is back at it after we, us thinking that he was going to retire. Jose Aldo here seems like telling the UFC he's going to retire managed to secure his release. And so right away, there's speculation. Is he securing his release so that he can do boxing or something else? You know, I think that maybe there'd be a little bit fewer opportunities for him in that regard, just given where the the interest is in the the boxing landscape right now and size-wise where he might fit in that. But still, you can't rule something like that out. But it does seem like if he's gone from the UFC, if that era of his career is over and it seemed like he was thinking of this as, hey, I'm making a run toward the title. And when he lost to Marab Davashvili at UFC 278, that seemed to to put an end to that, at least temporarily and at least for, you know, what he thought was feasible in the time he had left to work with. And so, you know, if that is really the calculation he made, first of all, I want to say that that is, you got to give him credit. That is astute realization of where you are, where you can still go, what's possible. And you got to respect it if he's thinking, hey, I'm not in this just to keep showing up and getting paid until somebody absolutely tells me I have to go. I'm not in this to be dragged out you know, uh, or shown the door after it's so clear that I can't do it anymore and people are being made sad by watching me try. I was in it to try to be a champion again. Uh, I, I put three wins in a row together against some good guys, and then I lost one against a top contender, and that was it. Like, that, I realized then that I was not going to be a champion again. If I can't be a champion again, then I don't want to keep doing it. Like, if that's really the calculation he's making, then I have a whole lot of respect for that because that is something, like, an honesty with themselves and a... And a a level of realism with themselves that a lot of fighters aren't able to get to. Yeah. And frankly, a guy who in his late thirties, I guess, 36, uh, seemed like he was still capable of doing pretty good things. Like this wasn't a guy at that age that you looked at and you were like, okay, this guy definitely needs to walk away. He was, you know, uh, had the loss to Volishvili, but that was a fairly competitive fight. And he had won three in a row prior to that. And so, uh, you know, he doesn't seem like he is completely shot. So is he, he is either walking away at a good time here, or if you've seen an MMA retirement before, I think you have good reason to be skeptical here that this is the last time we've seen Jose Aldo in any kind of combat sports competition, just because I'm sure he still feels like he can do it. Uh, and there are probably going to be some opportunities for him. I mean, what those are, as you said, we don't totally know. It also seems like maybe Jose Aldo doesn't totally need the money. He's got some other business ventures, you know, going. I believe he is the hamburger king of Rio de Janeiro. Okay. He's got a successful line of, of hamburger restaurants. And so it seems like he is, he's got some other business stuff. It seems like financially he's okay. But we've seen how these things go with these guys, especially Aldo, who has been a pro fighter for so long. Yeah. And it's kind of been his entire uh identity as an adult human right that he's uh you know he's 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 been a, a pro fighter since uh 2004 his 18 year career uh 39 professional fights he's been uh you know near the top of the game at whatever weight class he's been in that entire time and 
was the inaugural UFC men's featherweight champion, held it down there for a long time, had the WEC belt before that, certainly deserves to be in the conversation with all of the other all-time greats that we talk about. Like, I think Jose Aldo sometimes gets overlooked in that discussion. Maybe now if he is actually retired, as you said, we'll have that perspective where we can say, hey, this guy belongs right up there with Demetrius Johnson, with Anderson Silva, with Fedor Emelianenko, with John Jones. Like, Jose Aldo is is one of those all-time greats who deserves to be mentioned in that same conversation. Yeah, and I think if we're going to look back and try to take in the career as a whole and think about what are the really impressive things that he did. I mean, for one thing, the longevity, just you talked about, like his WEC heyday was like in 2009 and 10, which that is a long-ass time ago in fight years, where you came up at this era where the, the promotion that you were the, the new face of quickly disappeared after that, and then you went on for a decade more and at the top level. The other thing is that thinking about how him going along as UFC featherweight champion for as long as he did, and then losing the belt, getting knocked out by Conor McGregor, and it would have been really easy for that to have been the one big stamp on his career. You know, it, to, to lose that fight, to really want to get it back, and yet we all knew Conor McGregor was never going back, never going to be 145 pounds again in his life. And that, that, that ship had sailed. He, that was his one shot at it. He made kind of a tactical mistake, charged in there, got clipped, and that was it. It would have been really easy for that to have just been the label that got stamped on. The guy who was the featherweight champ until he lost the belt to Conor McGregor and that his greatest achievement was foil to Conor McGregor uh, in his rise to stardom. And instead, he comes back, he gets the, the belt back again uh, against Frankie Edgar at UFC 200, uh, has those couple, that pair of fights with Max Holloway, and then having to remake himself when he realizes road is kind of blocked at featherweight, goes down a division when we'd already seen him make some tough cuts to 145 pounds, going down a division at that point in his, in his career, as in, in that point as just his chronological age, is almost never a good idea. Almost yeah. never does it work out. Usually what you do is you just end up depleting yourself further and your chin that has already taken a bunch of hits now has even less resiliency and you, you are in for a few bad nights, honestly, against guys who are really, really good in a lower weight class. And he actually made it work. He ended up being super good as a bantamweight. And that is incredible just in itself that he was still at that point adding new stuff to his game, could go down a division and, com and not only compete, but beat a lot of these really good dudes at that, at that weight class. All that stuff, I think, put so much distance between that McGregor fight that it didn't define him, that he didn't just like sulk over that and use that as like the, the one thing that he was going to dwell on is that he ended up on the bad side of this absolutely massive fight. And, and that not a lot of people I think could have done that. Yeah. Uh, he is a guy who felt like he lived several lives throughout his MMA career. I remember working for versus and NBC sports back in the heyday of the WEC. And then, around the time that the UFC absorbed those divisions. And remember, Jose Aldo was so dominant at the time, they didn't even have him fight for the inaugural UFC featherweight champion. They just appointed him UFC featherweight champion. They just handed him the belt. Uh, I remember feeling like I really thought, after having witnessed his WEC run, that he was going to be a massive pay-per-view star for the UFC, just because of the things he did in the cage. We talked about the double flying knee on Cub Swanson. He had the uh, the high-profile rivalry, of course, with Uriah Faber. 
I don't know that I've ever seen a champion look as stuck and as kind of scared as Mike Brown did when he was the WEC featherweight champion defending against Jose Aldo. I just thought Jose Aldo was going to come into the UFC and kick absolutely everybody's ass in amazing fashion and that he was going to become a fairly sizable pay-per-view draw for the UFC. Now that didn't happen, of course, because of numerous reasons. And in fact, that part of his career, it turned out he was just kind of teeing it up for Conor McGregor, which, uh, as you said, could have been the defining moment of his career, but it turned out not to be. He came back, he lived multiple additional lives after that, and now I think has solidified his his place as one of the all-time greats. I know we want to treat these retirements with reverence, and yet. And yet. All of our experience previously in this sport has taught us that these things are rarely final. If you were Jose Aldo's career minder, if you were the mastermind behind the career of Jose Aldo, what do you think is the would be the best thing for him to do in the wake of this, you know, assuming that financial payoffs would be equal, which obviously is a silly thing to assume, but, you know, what's the best opportunity for Jose Aldo out there? Well, I'll tell you what I would definitely do is if jo- if I'm in charge of Jose's career and he tells me, you know, let me know when we get a call with any interesting offers, any interesting offers at all, let me know. And if my phone rings and it's BKFC on the other line and they would like to talk, they say they're going to throw around some big money. And then Jose at the end of the day is like, so did we hear anything? I'm going, nope. Mm-mm. No, nothing yet, man. Nothing yet, champ. Phone, I'll phone let you know. even ring, champ. But I'll let you some, know. We got some irons in the fire, though, yeah. champ. We, we, we casted some lines. We got some nets out there. But, uh, you know, nothing yet. I'll let you know. I'll keep you apprised. I'm keeping them as far away from this man as possible. I'm not letting that happen. Other than that, I mean... It is interesting. It tells you something about the state of combat sports where I saw like headlines where other fighters are saying like, you know, I think that he should be free to go make a big payday in boxing kind of stuff like that. And it's like really puts that whole this isn't a career. This is an opportunity kind of thing in perspective. If we're going guys, a goddamn legend of this sport, UFC champion for years, uh, holding it down as a veteran at the highest level. Uh, for well over a decade and you're thinking that the best news possible for him is that he could go box and make some real money yeah you know he he could use that that whole legendary career thing as a springboard to something better and you know i don't know i don't know what the boxing options would look like if he if that is really even something that he's thinking about but i still think about when i talk to anderson silva about his own calculations and making that move to boxing which we didn't realize at the time it was going to be as successful as it has been for him and he was saying that one of the things that made it so attractive to him was that it was a lot easier on the body to train for a boxing event, you know, to to not have to put your body through all the stuff that it needs to be in an MMA fight where you're just like, I got to do all takedowns, I got to do a lot of wrestling, grappling, all kinds of stuff. Think about uh, kicks to the legs and ribs and all kinds of stuff. And then the next thing you know, you're in your late 30s, early 40s, and you're really beating yourself up and training just to get to the fight. And in boxing, you don't have to do that quite as much. And if, you know, if something like that is the appeal, and if he has actually good offers of somebody where we're going to pay him a good amount of money and a fight that makes sense for him, then yeah, uh, I would be interested in seeing how he does in that. I I just like don't have him show up in PFL or some shit, you know, just for the hell of it. You know, that would, that would bum me out a little bit. 
yeah, I guess we'll see what opportunities are available on the table for Jose Aldo and if he wants them or if he's just going to go uh, go back home and let that hamburger money roll in, man. Man, I wish I had that hamburger money. If I had a hamburger joint, you'd never see me again. Everybody wishes they had that hamburger money. Come yeah. on. All right, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, we talked about at the beginning of the show that we have the rare UFC free weekend coming up uh, this this weekend with the UFC off in between fight night events and Bellator could capitalize on that. I suppose they are going over there to the three arena in Dublin where they do like to go for Bellator 285 on Friday night and the card that's not terrible, man. You got uh, Peter Queeley against Benson Henderson in a lightweight main event. Uh, you got that old dog, Yoel Romero, and a light heavyweight fight against Melvin Manhoff. You got Mads Brunel against Pedro Car- Carvalho. You got Leah McCourt against uh, Dana Silva, or Diana Silva, excuse me, here on the main card of this Bellator event from ireland it's like we ask this question from time to time and i think you know some things are working against bellator here but uh this seems like another opportunity for you know scotty cokes and the team to maybe get some eyeballs on them this weekend when there isn't otherwise going to be a ufc fight night or pay-per-view that might overshadow them yeah it is an opportunity in that sense because as i said before we get used to there being a fight every weekend and when there's not we're looking around going Who's going to give me my fix? And if Bellator could step up and be like, oh, we're glad you asked. We we just happen to have something here where maybe Yoel Romero is going to jump up in the air and knee Melvin Manhoff's head clean off his body. Would you like to see that? And we're going to go, yeah. Yeah, we would, as a matter of fact. You know, uh, Romero has actually been making some noise about getting through this one and then maybe going back to middleweight. He had been on a four-fight losing streak between his final three UFC fights and then the Bellator debut against Phil Davis back in September of last year. Uh, he came back and beat Alex Polizzi at Bellator 280 in May, and now he is making another uh, light heavyweight appearance here against Melvin Manhoff, who is not a he's giant not, he's at not that exactly weight the... by any stretch of that imagination. He's a five foot eight, yeah, uh, probably natural middleweight but he and Romero are going to do the damn thing at 105 pounds here it just seems like Romero has either reached that sort of fun fight or I'm looking for answers stage of the career and uh maybe a lot of what happens next depends on whether or not he can knee Melvin Manhoff's head right off his shoulders this weekend well this one seems like the kind of fight he ought to be able to win right I mean you'd hope you'd think so if he can't then that's troubling. I mean, not that Melvin Manhoff is going to be a gimme for anybody, but Melvin Manhoff is tough as all hell and just a, a little ball of absolute dynamite that even if you 
you get him hurt, or even if you think you got a lot of physical advantages, you get too close to that guy. He could just pop off and ruin your whole night. So yeah, he's still Melvin Manhoff. But then to give you all Romero a guy like this, where it's like, you know, it's light heavyweight fight, but he's one of the smaller light heavyweights. Physically, he should not be that difficult of a puzzle for you to solve. And it's the kind of, you know, we might be looking at the finally starting to diminish version of Yoel Romero, but Melvin Manhoff is 46 years old at yeah. this point, you know? So in all ways, it seems like we're kind of setting Yoel Romero up for some success here and against a name who we know. But also, at the same time, giving yourselves a matchup that for the old MMA heads, we see this one on the card and we go, okay, yeah, I guess I do kind of want to see how that turns out. Melvin Manhoff has not fought since November of 2020, so we're creeping up on a two-year layoff for him. I was at Bellator 251 uh, when they brought him in, and he got TKO'd by Corey Anderson in the second round. So maybe a bit of a clue there as to what Bellator's plans are for Melvin Manhoff here uh, to put him in there against Yoel Romero. That'll be, uh, you're right, one that we definitely want to see. Melvin Manhoff's going to go out there, I hope, with the gladiator trunks on yeah. that he likes to wear. Uh, I don't know what the technical term for those is, but uh, he does like to wear those. Uh, it's like a piece of drapery, gladiator trunks, and he'll, he's going to fight UL Romero. In the main event, of course, Benson Henderson and Peter Queeley. Peter Queeley, uh, the hometown guy over there in Dublin, coming in off a loss to Patricky Friere in November of 2021. He had beat him by Dr. Stoppage prior to that. Those guys had a bit of a uh, feud. That one was for the Bellator Lightweight World Championship. Now he comes in against Benson Henderson. Remember Benson Henderson seemed sad recently. Yeah. He's sort of like, I don't know, man. Bellator might not offer me another deal, and I wouldn't blame them if they didn't. On the heels of three straight losses, Michael Chandler, Jason Jackson, and Brent Primus, he came back at Bellator uh, 273 and at least got a split decision win over Islam Mamadov. So uh, I don't know if you want to call that back on track, but uh, Benson Henderson you know, maybe getting on towards the end of things here and uh, trying to go out there and put on respectable performances and get get W's against a guy like Peter Queeley, who's going to be doing it there for the hometown fans. Yeah, I mean, I can think of a lot of ways that Benson Henderson, whether he wins or loses, could give you a fight that doesn't exactly excite the hometown fans. So that's something to consider. Also, uh, just looking at the timing of this one, Chad. So you got the prelims popping off on YouTube at 10.30 a.m. in the One True Time Zone over here, okay. 12.30 okay. p.m. Eastern. And then the main card going to start at showtime at 2 p.m. in the afternoon, our time. So so if you want to get the free MMA in, you got to have like a Friday brunch uh, appointment maybe, for yourself. Or keep a tab open and when, when you're at the office, you know, no, when you see no one's looking over your shoulder, pop it open, something like that. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. And if it, you know, it could just underscore many of the difficulties here for, for all of the other MMA promotions, second run MMA promotions, B tier MMA promotions here, trying to just fit in around the behemoth that is the UFC and all of the uh, oxygen in the room that it gobbles up on a weekly basis. All right, let's go ahead and do just saying stuff. And then we will get out of here for this week. Ben, what's your just saying stuff? Well, Chad, I don't know if you happen to see this, but uh, a guy who the UFC seems pretty hot on by the name of Joe Pfeiffer came off the contender series uh, with, you know, a, a big knockout uh, earlier this year. He makes his UFC debut here against Alan Amandowski and looks good. 
you know, gets off to a little bit of a slow start. Once he starts finding his reins and he is nailing Amandowski, uh, finally puts him down uh, late in the first round with a nice straight right hand coming off the back of an uppercut. Uh, and is very emotional in his speech afterwards. Notes that Dana White has really, you know, has nothing but good things to say about UFC President Dana White. Says how Dana White, quote, gave him some money on the side, gave him a place to live for the next year. I don't know if he's talking about separately that the place for the next year was something that he gave him or if the money that he gave him on the side helped him secure a place for the next year. Um, but, you know, trying to say like good things like, and he said afterwards that he feels like Dana White gets shit on a lot. So he wanted to say something positive about how Dana White has really helped him step up and give him some money on the side uh, to help him get through and, and so that he could focus on training and, and performing and being the fighter that the UFC hopes that he will become. Uh, and that's that's nice and everything. I guess I'm just saying this week, if I was the guy he was fighting, I guess I might have wanted to know that. That the <laughs> UFC was so invested in this guy that they're slipping him a little extra money, helping him get by, uh, really helping him out, all this stuff. And then I'm the guy that they picked that they want to have him come in and fight in his first fight in the UFC, when clearly we want to see this guy do well. I'm just saying I wish I would have had that information before I fought him, and not as I'm being let off, newly concussed, uh, on my way to the back to get checked out by the doctors. I'm just saying. Wow. Uh, you talking about Joe body bags, Pfeiffer right now. That's right. Joe Pfeiffer be Joe Pfeiffer body bags with a Z is Joe Pfeiffer's nickname body bags. Yeah. I might've wanted someone to let me know that too, before I went out there, but you know, <laughs> well, I don't want to let them know right before I got, I don't want you like whispering <laughs> in my ear as I'm bouncing up and down behind the curtain. Like, by the way, the UFC is real hot on this guy. They keep giving him money on the side and range for him to have a house for the next a year, a place to stay. All right. Anyway, go out there. Let's give him hell. Like, uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> Tell me before I sound the bout agreement. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's what a surprise. These kids from the contender series find themselves indebted to Dana White. Hmm. Just look at my shocked face. All right. Uh, did you watch any of these Nate Diaz blogs that they put out this week in the wake of UFC 279? Man, I don't, I've been in a NyQuil haze. I've done nothing. Yeah. First of all, Nate Diaz has a crack production staff going okay. for him because these are these are good blogs uh, banging soundtracks on these things Naturally. as compared to what we normally get uh, from the UFC. But I guess this week I'm just saying, how is Nate Diaz going to release these video blogs where he looks like the nicest person in the world. Like this man has a reputation to uphold, Ben. I don't know if we want the word getting out that he's back there slapping five with everybody in the back of the UFC, smoking and joking sometimes literally with all of the like UFC support people doing fist bumps and hugging everybody. And he seems like he's got a really great relationship with his uh, private security guard that the UFC assigned him for this. Kind of makes it seem like maybe Nate Diaz isn't that hard to deal with, you know, unless uh, unless you're trying to screw him out of his money. I'm just saying. Seems like kind of a delightful guy. (laughs) Just saying. That's going to do it for this week's Coleman Event Podcast. Thanks for everybody for tuning in. We'll be over at the Patreon page all week, Wednesday with the live chat, Thursdays doing the damn thing, Friday with the power hour. The CME Discord is just it's churning all the time. People are just in there talking about all no man, you know, all manner of things. Yeah, fights, not fights, whatever you want. People are in there just talking. It's a fun time. Uh, head over to Patreon.com/slash Co-Main Event. Sign up for the team. We'll see you over there for the rest of the week. Enjoy Bellator on Friday. As for right now, we are done. We are through. We are out. You're telling me that if I get, if I get you a fight, 
and you're about to walk out, that's not the time for you to lean over and be like, the promoter really likes this guy. They haven't been giving any tough fights at all, it's mostly gimmies. Send him back to Japan.